are looking live. I don't believe what I just saw. Anything's possible. Why? From the last week of a very strange semester, it's the 252. Sports Talk Radio is done by academics like me, Chris Gertz. And I'm Chris Moore. And I'm Sam Mulberry. That's right. Joining you from uh, Google Hangout Meet that connects us while we're unable to be together uh, at Bethel University. Guys, we actually uh, are seeing at least a reduction of the stay-at-home order here in the state of Minnesota. I don't know if we're going to be on campus at all this summer, but uh, maybe things are loosening up just a little bit. Sam's been on campus this whole time. He actually That's has right. come in to facilitate all these podcasts and other things we're doing. He's actually handcuffed to his desk. Like, he, <laughs> like It's a protest at this point. I, I've only seen him at that desk. As far as I know, he never goes home. So right. how would we know different? Uh, well, this week, what we're mostly going to do is talk about uh, eSports. This is picking up on something Dr. Moore did in class in history and politics of sports at Bethel this week. So we're going to actually talk to someone at Bethel who's facilitating the creation of an eSports club. So we'll ask Adrian Smithy a little bit about what led to that and what life has been like under COVID, where he sees eSports heading. But in this first segment, uh, we're going to really focus on something for the students here. So non-student listeners, if you want to listen, great. If you want to skip ahead, uh, this will take like 15 minutes or so. Uh, Because it's the last week of class, students are now starting to wonder what their final exam is going to look like in our class, History and Politics of Sports. So Chris, we thought we'd spend some time talking through what that final will be. Students, this will all be on Moodle, so we're not going to necessarily read every single bit of this, but we want to at least let you know what you're in for and uh, talk through a little bit about and give some advice to you. So, uh, Chris, this is 25% of the overall grade for the class, so it's going to be in two parts. So we'll talk about the take-home essay part, which students can start working on right now if they want. But Mm -hmm. uh, let's give them a preview of the online test which is going to take place on this, basically the schedule day and time as was supposed to be of our final exam, Thursday, yeah. May 21st. So I should say that usually I bring donuts to my final exams and you're, as students, you're going to have to hit me up uh, next semester for that donut because I'm not going to mail one to your house. But from 2.45 to 4.45 on Thursday, uh, May 21st, uh, Within that two-hour window, you have to initiate the final exam, which means you could start it at 2.45, you could start it at 2.50, you could start it at 3, you could start it at 2.40 or 4.44, right before the the window ends. As long as you start it within that two-hour window, you will then have 60 minutes to complete it. Right. And so we wanted to get, because we haven't been doing this class synchronously and holding it at a certain time, we we want to give some flexibility here. Um, but we, we do expect that unless you have some extenuating circumstance, you can explain to our satisfaction. We just expect you'll start within that two hours. Uh, once you start, that clock does not stop. So make sure that you've got a reliable internet connection. I don't think Moodle really does take up much internet bandwidth, so I don't think this is an issue. If you have any kind of problem, usually the solution is just restart or try a different browser. If you still have issues, I will try to be by email. Let me know what's happening. But we've done this in other classes. Uh, It it goes well. And if there's any issue, we'll figure it out. But that's when you start. That's how long it takes. Now, of course, it's an online Moodle test. So this means this is an open note, open book test. You can have Mm -hmm. Sha open. You can have Davies open. You can have things on your computer open. If you have a study guide you make or something, that is totally fine. You do have to work by yourself, though, Chris. Correct. 
So this is certainly something you can study together. You know, this is one reason we set up the PLCs that you should know five or six other people in class pretty well by this point. So you might want to work on making a study material, a study guide of some sort. But once the test actually starts, you need to do this by yourself. The, the whole purpose of this is to demonstrate the first course objective, the first couple of course objectives, and that you can recall these important um, things we're going to ask you about. Right. Okay, so uh, what's going to be on the test? Uh, events, ideas, individuals, groups, organizations, uh, you know, the kind of chronology, vocabulary, and key themes of the course, you know, really from the whole semester, probably with a slight emphasis towards material uh, since the midterm, I would say, Chris. That's exactly right, yeah. Right, so this will be five open-ended questions. Each will require probably multiple short paragraphs, so not a lot of writing, but this is not just multiple choice matching. So I guess you can do the math pretty simply. Plan on you know 10 to 12 minutes per question, and you should be fine. Some of them might be shorter than, than others. So um, we, we're not going to go too deep into this, but let's just kind of tell you the basic types of questions. Uh, the first one, Chris, will be a kind of timeline mm -hmm. question, right? Right. And so this is you to identify significant events in modern American sports history. And, and let me be clear here. So here's our first big hint for those of you who are listening to this. We're not looking for you to think about specific athletic achievements, but to connect the kinds of things that have happened in sport to broader themes in American society, American politics, and how, um, how it's evolved over time. Right. So, um, not necessarily who's the greatest, but what really matters. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this should be familiar to you by this point. We've, we've spent a lot of time talking about what significance is. You know, we've done Mount Rushmore kinds of things in the second half of the class. And um, the idea of connecting sports and society should be old hat by this point. What we don't want is a list of like the four greatest athletes. We do want events and we do want mm -hmm. them to connect to these larger themes. We'll give you some other instructions. Expect that you'll have to kind of spread this out. You can't pick four things from the 1940s, for example. You've got to spread it right. out. You've got touching a couple of different sports. Expect that it's not just men. Women are an important part of our story. But past that, I would just say the way to study for this is just go back through and try to start making up a timeline. Start brainstorming what are some of the key events. You know, Try to push yourself to spread it across at least all of the 20th century, maybe even a recent event or two. And in Think the process... Yep. Sorry, Chris. Think about broad themes from the class right. and then connect those broad themes to exemplary events that identify those themes. And I think it's a good place to start, both because you'll have that kind of question. And then in the process, you're going to start generating lists of other things we'll be testing you on. Key individuals, key organizations, key moments, key changes over time, and those big themes, big ideas, big concepts. So that's one kind of question. Expect that to be 15 points. Uh, a second 15-point question will be a kind of a short essay that we'll give you. And it'll focus, we'll just tell you, it'll be on a key issue from the third quarter. So maybe this is a place where you want to go back, review uh, review what you wrote for the book review for Victor Cha. Maybe go back to that lecture or both the lectures that Chris gave those two weeks after the midterm, uh, just to think about what were some of the key themes from that as, as Cha talked about the importance of the Olympics and what sport means in international politics. We'll, we'll do some kind of review on that since that was a big part of what we've done since the midterm. Exactly. And then the rest of that, so that'll be another 15 points. And so the last 45 points, uh, Chris, will check your understanding of key vocabulary, not your understanding, Chris, but students' <laughs> understanding of key vocabulary terms. So how are we going to do this? Well, so the way we've come up with this, and this is a call out to your own work in the CWC class. Um, That's right, students. You can't escape CWC. 
Yeah, and, and this is to come up with uh, uh, conceptual pairs. Can we tell them that? Sure. Yeah, I, I already have. Um, so we'll be giving you a set of of uh, pairs of of concepts which you should be well familiar with. But we're not just looking for you to define those concepts. We're looking for you to explain what they are and then explain how they connect to each other or how explain each other. So a little bit of a, a heavy emphasis towards the fourth quarter of the readings and, and lectures uh, on this subject. So if you haven't finished listening to those things yet, do that now. Uh, but um, as long as you're kind of up on all the fourth quarter readings and lectures, these things shouldn't strike you as as off the wall or obscure. No, not at all. I mean, I, I think there is meant to be a little bit of unknown here. This is meant to be a challenge. But again, it's open note, open book. As long as you've been reviewing these key you know, um, figures, groups, themes, I, I think you'll find something familiar. And you will have some choice here. Uh, kind of like how the timeline will be a pretty open-ended kind of question. We're going to give you five or six pairs, and you'll have to pick three of them to answer. Uh, yep. And that's partly because in the fourth quarter, you know, some of you were studying different things than others. And so we wanted to create some flexibility on that question, at least. Uh, Chris, any other advice for how students can prepare for this before we move on to the take-home essay? I always tell my students this, and I think this holds true for this exam as well, is if it's something that shows up in the reading, shows up in the lectures, boy, that's a pretty good bet it's going to show up on the exam too. Yeah, I mean, just think about how if you were a professor, how you would write a test. You kind of think back over the material you did in class, the lectures, the readings you assigned, um, maybe even going back through old quizzes is a good way to do some review. Um, and again, feel free to work with other people until you start the test and then you are on your right. own to demonstrate your recall and comprehension. So that's 75 points. We'll put that on Moodle uh, so you can see the instructions. And they'll open up at 2.45 on Thursday, May 21st. Also on Thursday, May 21st, any time before the end of that day, you need to turn in a 50-point take-home essay. So let me go to Moodle. I'm going to just read through the prompt of this essay, and then we're going to mm -hmm. talk through this a little bit to maybe help you brainstorm how you can answer it. So here's what it says on Moodle. Throughout the semester, we've come back often to the idea that sports can function as something like a religion. So we want you to write an essay of not more than 800 words that addresses the following question following questions. So three questions, but they're pretty interrelated. First of all, what is religious about sports? What do we mean by this? Second, how is the experience of sports going on hiatus during the COVID pandemic illustrated that idea that sports can function like religion? And third, if sports do serve a religious function, what do you think that means for how Christians participate in them? Whether it's as an athlete, a coach, a spectator, what have you. So we want you to give supporting examples from different sports in different eras. We want you to refer to lectures, assigned readings. You can use articles from the COVID discussion board, podcasts, projects, whatever. We do want you to synthesize the material from throughout the semester in order to answer this question. Turn it in on Moodle before the end of the day on Thursday, May 21st. So, Chris, maybe we should just review, uh, first of all, what, when we say religious and sports, you know, this is different than Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, but what makes sports religious in a sense? Exactly. Let me just say, first of all, compared to the in-class portion of the final, this portion of the final is broadly integrative of the whole semester. Right. And so don't be afraid to dip back into the early part of the, the syllabus, early part of the semester to gather information about this. But really we're thinking about the ways that sport really binds us together as a group of people gives us a common set of activities, a common set of, of uh, behaviors, a common set of, of language that we use to talk to each other, that bind us together, and sometimes even really motivate us to pray, to, to be oppositional to other kinds of groups as well. 
And uh, that can take us all the way back to my discussion of uh, English football and yes. Scottish football right. and and, Nash- and and notions of ethnic conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, Art Remillard's uh, discussion of Steeler Nation, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, which you can also find early on in the semester, and 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 Paul Putz talking about sort of sport as as religion as well. Yeah, you can find that on the COVID discussion board. Um, I, I had to kind of refresh my memory. I think we introduced this back on February 7th. If you want to look in your notes, we had asked you to read that piece by Art Remillard on Steelers Nation, in which he said, the Steelers Nation acts in characteristically religious ways, using sacred memories, objects, and values to inscribe deep meaning on the plays, people, and places associated with its professional football team. So there's that sense of community, right? It's a nation that's bound mm-hmm. together and opposed to other communities. Um, but what you do together as a nation is you're making meaning of something and maybe deep, profound meaning and might even start on to take on uh, um, characteristics of what we think of as being sacred or transcendent or ultimate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this could also be how we think about what athletes are doing. There, there are moments that might strike us again as transcendent. You know, that's that's a word we often use to describe really uh, superior athletic performance. So there are many ways you can do this, but I think those are some of the themes we want you to play around with when we say sports as religious. So Chris, we don't have, we don't want to give away too much here, but if you were to get this question, you know, what's one way you've seen in the past two months as virtually all sports in this country have been shuttered for a time, how is that underscoring this idea that sports function like religion? Uh, If it's okay with you, Chris, can I answer this in the form of a joke? (laughs) Please do. Uh, uh, I saw someone post on a social media site, one of those sort of just simple text memes. And the meme was this, uh, who knew getting rid of sports would create sourdough bread. <laughs> okay. And it's true. So many people I know who otherwise would be following, uh, the, uh, baseball season or the NBA season have taken up baking, uh, and are talking about their starters and are talking about, you know, yeast. Um, we need something to give us a sense of identity and something to give us a sense of, of drawing uh, people together. And so I think that thinking about real, um, the, the role that sports fills in an otherwise secular society as a way of binding groups of people together is a, a big theme that we should we should be considering here. Well, that is amazing because I've been wanting to pitch a bread podcast to you guys for a while. So <laughs> you, you're a spot. I actually wrote a blog post about the religious meaning of bread baking. So I'm clearly oh, part of the are. problem here. here um, yeah. So there, there we go. And so I, mean, I think that's a very broad way to think about it. There might be some others. I guess what mm-hmm. we're going to challenge you to do is to think, you know, as people who've actually paid some pretty sustained attention to sports past and present, give us some examples of what that looks like and, and allude to materials we've given to you from that list that I read read earlier. Now, one thing that we've um, you know come up against a few times, Chris, and now really want to um, put on, um, I guess, front and center is what should this mean for us as Christians? Mm-hmm. So again, the third question here is if sports do serve this kind of religious function, what does that mean for how Christians participate in them? Should that make us wary of throwing ourselves into something that might be a kind of competing religion? Or do these actually uh, fuse or synthesize or hybridize well together? That as Christians, it's all right to take part in these other kinds of community building, meaning making, transcendent activities. And again, so without, without steering students too much, we've had examples of both of those forms of mm-hmm. people who've talked about basically using sport as a com- as a common conversation to advance faith, uh, to be missional, or even to be missionaries. And then we've also had people who. Uh, rejected the notion that that sport as a civil religion stands in the way 
of, mm-hmm. of Christian faith and needs to be sort of put inside a careful box and not allowed to subsume the role that religion uh, might otherwise take. We never did do an ele- a lecture on this, but at one point when we were planning class, we, th- we thought we'd say something about what's actually part of your religious tradition, Chris, which is the Anabaptist tradition. Mm-hmm. I gave a paper once that, that was published last year about how Anabaptists play sports. So CWC, the, these were the people in the 16th century that uh, rejected infant baptism, but they were also pacifists. And they believed that they were supposed to live truly Christ-like lives on this earth, even if it cost them their lives, their livelihood, their status. And what I found was that for most of the period we've covered in this class, most Anabaptists, most Mennonites, certainly the Amish uh, brethren, other kinds of Anabaptist groups were very suspicious of competitive sports. And that certainly includes sports like football and boxing, you know, things where we've already talked about maybe Christian concerns about the violence that's inherent uh, in them, mm-hmm. but really any kind of competition. And because it created, um, you know, celebrity, it, it led to pridefulness. That was one objection. But another is just that it, it destroyed community. It, it led to individualism. It pitted people against one another. Uh, the one sport that the Amish have deeply loved for a long time actually is baseball because yes. it's such a communitarian endeavor. I mean, it's, there's no way for any individual to stand out. But there they had the question of could we play against non-Amish? Could we play against uh, another kind of community? So that's if you want more, I can send you the paper if you want to think about that. But that's just a different kind of take that we hadn't yet introduced in class. And there are many others you can think about. Okay. Well, Chris, we don't, we're not actually charged with answering the essay. We just want to give a few handles for, for people to climb onto. You can certainly run ideas by us, students. Uh, I often tell students with take-home essays, I'm happy to, to talk, to do a chat, to email. If you want to show me an outline or a rough draft, you know, that that's perfectly fine. We, you know, there's time pressure on the other one. This is not meant to be time pressure. We want you to have a week to, to cogitate on this, gestate, shape, polish, you know, it's your last word on sports in some ways. So we want you to do your best. Let me just say, though, uh, it should be your own words. And you should not be collaborating with others as you uh, produce this final essay. Right. Okay. Well, that's, I think, enough to get students going on the test. You can always let us uh, know if you have any questions as it gets closer. But we'll just refer you to Moodle at this point. Okay. So we're going to wrap up the first segment. After a break, we'll be back with Bethel's Adrian Smithy, founder of our new eSports club. This week in sports history. New York, New York, May 15, 1912. Tigers outfielder Ty Cobb rushes 12 rows into the stands at Hilltop Park and savagely punches and kicks a heckler. When Cobb is suspended by American League President Ban Johnson, his Detroit teammates refuse to play their next game. The first player strike in baseball history. Chicago, Illinois, May 16, 1985. Bulls guard and future documentary star Michael Jordan is named the NBA's Rookie of the Year after scoring 28 points per game on 51% shooting and leading Chicago back to the playoffs for the first time in four years. Louisville, Kentucky, May 17, 1875. Aristides wins the first running of the Kentucky Derby by two lengths of a volcano. Ten years after the end of the Civil War, both the winning jockey and trainer are former slaves. 
Black Jockeys will go on to win 15 of the first 28 derbies and be kept out of that race for most of the 20th century. Munich, Germany, May 19, 2012. Chelsea defeat host Bayern Munich in penalties to claim their first UEFA Champions League title. The first London club to win that tournament, Chelsea had only made it to the last game thanks to a miracle semifinal, down a man and scoring in stoppage time in Barcelona. He's in, he's in. He's in. He's in. This could be the most dramatic story of the season. It's Torres to give Chelsea a place in the Champions League final. The headline has been written. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I said the last 18 months have just been forgotten in two seconds. You've been listening to This Week in Sports History. Welcome back to segment two in this week's episode of the 252. Uh, at this point, we're going to talk about one of the two themes we've been exploring this week in our class, history and politics of sports. Uh, I was talking with students about uh, performance enhancement, about steroids and doping, and even about transhumanism. And then Dr. Moore was talking to students about fantasy sports, but also something called esports. So I'm going to let Chris steer the ship because we've got someone who knows a lot about esports. Welcome, Adrian Smithy, to the podcast. Adrian, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Adrian, uh, you are in the enviable position, at least from my perspective, of uh, leading Bethel into its first foray into organized esports. And we're part of a growing number of colleges and universities who are offering esports either at a varsity, that is to say, scholarship level, um, or as a club level, which is what what Bethel's doing. Before we get to what you've been doing the last uh, the last couple of of last year or so with that, tell us a little bit about your sports story. How have you been involved in sports in the past? Not just esports, but what's sort of your relationship with sports through your through your life? Yeah, so back in high school, I did you know track, cross country, I raced mountain bikes, all all of that through my high school. And then when I got to college, I didn't really participate in any sports. Um, I just did them for fun, you know, and, uh, mm -hmm. and then it kind of grew into played a lot of video games with residents at Bethel as I was an RA and, uh, uh okay. and I just really saw, I really saw a, a need for, uh, organized esports because there's such an interest at the college level age for kids to be playing that. And yeah, so that's kind of where my interest in esports came along. Adrian, can I ask, cause I, I mean, one thing that always strikes me with Bethel as a residential campus is that life in dorms is such a big part of the experience for professors really don't get to see that. And so I have a very strong sense that a lot of my students are playing video games, but do you have some sense of just how prevalent this is? How many students are pretty regular gamers? Yeah, I mean, I would say that there are a huge majority of, of guys and girls on campus who, who are playing video games, you know, even, even if it's just a game on their phone, you know, that's still a video game. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom plays like the bejeweled or whatever on her phone all the time. And, <laughs> and there's, there's big money in those games and they're really popular. They're addicting. And, um, but yeah, on campus, it's just crazy. I, I was an RA for two years and a shift leader for one year. So I basically, I spent every single year of my Bethel career on a freshman floor, living with freshmen. 
And the number one thing th those guys did for fun was play video games, whether it was alone or together or with friends from home or with random friends. It didn't matter. That's the number one thing they would do when they got done with class. So uh, we know that video games are an enormous uh, portion of the economic market. more A large part of our entertainment budget in the United States goes towards video games. But we want to be very clear about distinguishing just playing video games with eSports. So how do eSports differ from just casual video game play? Sure, so a lot of eSports, uh, there's uh, tournaments every year that there's prize money involved. Um, I think it, a guy named Booga uh, was his gamer tag. He won a Fortnite Solos tournament a few months back, and I think the prize pot was $3 million. So he took Ooh. home $3 million just for winning a, a Fortnite tournament by himself. It wasn't like he split it with his teammates or anything. Um, so there is huge money in, in these eSports competitions, and that's the difference between casual gaming where you're just getting together with your buddies to play for fun versus like, no, I'm, I'm a professional at this game, and I make a living off of my skills. That's fascinating. Tell me, uh, and we know, and the students have heard a little bit in my lecture discussing where that money comes from, sort of how esports organizations are getting the amount of money to offer a $3 million prize pool. But tell us a little bit about the games themselves, because I didn't go into that very much. What kinds of games are being featured in esports, and what are, kind of, what are some of the features of those kinds of games? You mentioned Fortnite, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the games are like Fortnite, um, where they're kind of this player versus player uh, or player versus everyone uh, style where, you know, it's kind of the last man standing. Mm -hmm. um, there's games like Rocket League, which is it's literally just rocket powered cars and you're playing soccer with those cars. It's a lot more fun than it sounds. Um, so uh, the most popular game style is definitely the shooter games. Um, okay. But. Yeah, there's there's a whole there's there's card games like Hearthstone that are pretty popular. Um, there's third person shooters, first person shooters. There's just so many different popular games that are that can be played. So, is there? Um, I have a couple. I have a couple of different questions here, but uh, my my first one is: um, Is there a space for traditional sports video games to be part of esports? So, does like NBA Two K or um, Madden? Uh, show up in uh, esports. They do. They're definitely not as prevalent as you know Fortnite, Counter Strike, uh, Overwatch, Call of Duty, stuff like that. You know, you're, you're going to see those those shooter games and and uh, games like League of Legends or Dota or stuff like that. You're going to see those way before you see you know an esports tournament of NHL or um, you know NBA 2K or whatever. But I think, especially with COVID, uh, we saw on ESPN that all the NASCAR racers were sitting down in their simulators and they were doing races uh, through their simulators <laughs> instead of in person on the racetrack. Uh, so I, I hope to see those grow because I know that those are super popular with a lot of uh, students at Bethel and in general as well. Uh, so I hope to see there become a better scene and a bigger scene for those types of sports esports. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Adrian, because I my I have almost no connection or knowledge uh, to or about this. But my one connection I have is that for several weeks, every morning, my son would update me on how the MLB Show Players Tournament was going. 
apparently Major League <laughs> Baseball at its website was hosting a tournament using this 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 game, and they recruited players from each team to actually be the gamers in it. And sure. um, the Twins have a relief pitcher named Trevor May who uh, has a Twitter account who he talks about gaming as much as anything. So he was in that, and ultimately I think uh, Blake Snell won. He's a pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays. So I had wondered if this was just kind of a, it's a way that players are killing time or how much they are actually very avid gamers themselves. But I, I wonder if that any legs after COVID finally ends. Yeah. So let me ask you um, about Bethel's entree into esports. Uh, what was it like to found a club here at Bethel and how are we getting ourselves organized? Yeah. So I started uh, pushing for an esports club in, I think it was, it was either end of October or end of November, somewhere in that, you know, mid fall area. And the club had its first meeting the first week of February, I think it was. Um, and we, we became a club late in December, early in January. So okay. things actually went fairly quickly and I was really happy about that. I was surprised at how fast things moved. Um, being an IT person, it made it a little easier because we were able to, I was able to identify a computer lab that we already have good equipment in. Mm-hmm. And we were able to just start using that with uh, the math CS department's permission. So that wasn't a huge deal. Um, the biggest hurdle, I think, has been just the conception of the administration of what esports means, what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people just think that esports is uh, just a bunch of shooting violent games and that it's really toxic and uh, really not good for anyone involved. So uh, that's that's the biggest hurdle uh, right now, and I think it, it always will be at Bethel. And we can definitely get into the ethics of those games and, and the effect on people's brains. That's That's all part of the discussion going on. So I'm fascinated by this. So is there, uh, because of perhaps cultural reticence about some of the subject matter of video games or even neurological concerns about video games, although I must say that from the neurological perspective, I don't share those concerns. Um, what is uh, What kinds of video games has the Bethel Esports Club focused on? Sure. So uh, the biggest one we focused on is definitely Rocket League. There's a okay. good uh, population of of students at Bethel who are interested in that game, who are really good at that game. Um, another game is just Super Smash Bros. Brawl uh, okay. on Wii, so that's a Mario game. Um, there is a, a little bit of violence in that one, but it's just so cartoony that I don't think anyone really cares. You know, they're letting their their eight-year-olds play it on their Wii system at home, so mm-hmm. what's the big deal there? Um, but in all reality, those are the only two games that we were really focusing on too much while we were on campus still. Now, obviously, gotcha. we have a, a, a server on Discord, and I'm not going to restrict what games our Bethel students can play together, you know, when they're when they're at home and, and whatnot. But when they're on campus, you know, we have stricter rules of like, hey, any games with violence, like, we're not going to play those, so... Now, have you been invited or are you looking for ways to have Bethel students compete with other universities? Uh, is there sort of a, a MIAC for esports that's forming? There is, there is a league, yes. It's the NACE. Um, okay. So 
that league uh, Bethel is not yet a part of. I would love for that to happen. I would love to see Bethel go varsity. I'm working on it as hard as I can. Okay. Um, but at this point, it's just kind of casual tournaments uh, when when we when we can. So we ha- had the January tournament um, in person in the underground, which was a huge success, really amazing. Um, and then we had a virtual tournament in April, um, just using Twitch to stream, and that's actually on our Bethel Esports YouTube account that you can go back and watch that tournament. And we had um, we had a student from Hamlin compete with his team so uh we're working on that we're getting there we're trying to open up those uh passageways to get into communication with uh, places like hamlin concordia uh, other universities that are interested in esports and have students who want to participate so we're getting there so adrian with with the level of competition in i think you call it the nac um i know a lot of colleges or you know growing number of colleges are actually offering esports scholarships mm-hmm. um Mid, are are we able to compete at that level? Does this I mean? Can you see a day where Bethel actually? We don't really offer any sports scholarships, but is it possible we'd be offering e-sports scholarships to attract students who can uh, make it possible for us to compete? Or is that not really the vision for e-sports at Bethel? That's totally the vision. I there's nothing stopping Bethel from having a varsity e-sports program that awards scholarships as soon as next school year. Um, aside from coronavirus and, and all the uncertainty around that. You know, if, mm-hmm. in a perfect world, we could literally start, uh, we could take an admissions team and we could say, hey, we want you to go and find uh, high schoolers who are interested in gaming and want to do that competitively at Bethel. And we could we could give them scholarships and we could do all that as soon as next year. Well, even if, if COVID continued, I mean, it even seems like there's a kind of uh, sporting void there for you to step into. This is something that you can do uh, right at yeah. a distance to some degree. My question actually is, are there impediments created by COVID uh, to esports, or are you able to kind of make an end run around uh, social isolation with esports? Yeah. I mean, it was definitely affected. We had hoped that our April tournament would be in person again because the the arena the arena style gameplay is just so much more interesting, so much more fun, it's so much more engaging for the viewers. Mm-hmm. Um, so for uh, for the viewership audience aspect, yes, it has impacted it. But other than that, I mean, I think honestly, the the players who participated in that tournament, they probably preferred playing at home on their own system versus the systems that I was providing. Mm. Interesting. So Adrian, as you think about the benefits this offers to these kinds of student athletes, I mean, is, that, is it similar to what we would think of as being the benefits of competing in, like you did, in track or cross country, basketball, football, soccer, softball, or, do you, or is it a different kind of benefit to having um, students be part of esports in organized fashion? Sure. Yeah, I think I think the big difference is the the physical aspect. You know, if you're participating in football or you know whatever other sport, like you're. You're in good shape. You're working out constantly. That's one downside to esports, but it's also an upside of like, hey, if you're in a wheelchair and you can't do football, soccer, basketball, etc., you know, like like normal, you can't do it on the varsity level. At least you can come and you can play, you know, Rocket League on a varsity mm-hmm. level. So there there are much less boundaries or restrictions for who can and cannot participate mm. another huge benefit is that esports is so uh easily able to be done by men and women so it's co-ed 
Um, there's no restrictions there as well. And I think the the, the similarity between um, between esports and regular sports like football and soccer and all those is that you still have a team, you still have practices, you still have a coach, you're still working on your skills, you're still getting better, and uh, and that's a really fun aspect of esports. All right, Adrian, we're a little pressed for time here, but before we let you go, I've got to ask one more question, which is, uh, as you look forward, obviously, uh, compared to something more traditional like football or basketball, where a lot of the technology is pretty set in place, uh, esports evolves quite dramatically as uh, new gaming platforms are developed, uh, as new games become dominant within the system. I know some games like Counter-Strike have been being, have been played for almost a decade now, Uh StarCraft has been played for more than a decade, but a lot of games are new and emergent. So what do you see as one of the big future trends in esports, something that might really change the, the field of esports in the next five years? Sure. Oh, man, that's a tough question with the way things change. I, I, can't, I can't predict the future at all, but I, I do expect that public universities like the U of M and uh, SDSU, you know, whatever, the surrounding states, I think when public universities bring in esports programs that are that are varsity level and that goes big i think that's when esports is just going to explode and mm. and every university in america is going to have to have an esports program just like they feel like they have to have a football program or whatever that's i mean that's a collegiate level not a gaming level necessarily mm -hmm. but that's kind of my prediction for the direction that esports is going well, students, if you're listening to this, that is very much in keeping with our ongoing discussions of institutionalization uh, with the NCAA and with sports more generally. And we will see if esports follows a, a, a similar path. Okay. Thanks for joining us, Adrian. This is fascinating. We're excited to see where esports heads and uh, wish you well with uh, the esports club at Bethel. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Thanks. We'll be right back to wrap up this uh, last episode of the semester in just a sec. Get in touch with the show by emailing us at channel3900 at gmail.com. Okay, and for one last time this semester, it's three to see. Chris Moore, what should we be reading, watching? What do you have for us? Here on the 252, we like to talk about sports movies. So let me end our student semester with a recommendation to combine sport with my discipline of international politics, Invictus. Picture this. It's 1995, and Nelson Mandela, in this movie played by Morgan Freeman, is struggling with the challenges of his new post-apartheid government in South Africa and healing the rifts between black and white. With South Africa playing host to the 1995 Rugby World Cup, Mandela hopes his country's team, the Springboks, can be a symbol of unity. For that to happen, though, the predominantly white team will have to let in black players, so Mandela and Springboks captain, Francois Pionier, uh, played by Matt Damon, to build an integrated team. This movie is directed by Clint Eastwood. The movie car is carried by Freeman's soulful performance as an aged but still hopeful Mandela. Now, 
as a political scientist, uh, let me just say the film papers over a number of significant political controversies at the time, but it's still inspiring and very much worth the watch. Sam, I'm going to call an audible here. I'm going to go next because I want to save yours for last. Is that okay? Go okay. for it. Uh, here on the 252, we do like to talk about sports movies. We even came up with a Mount Rushmore of them last April. So I'm going to take a second shot at making a case for a 1961 film that only got 3% of our listener vote in that poll, The Hustler, starring the great Paul Newman as young billiards player bent on beating an older legend called Minnesota Fats, played by Jackie Gleason. Not just beating him, but humiliating him. Pool is not a sport or a game, whatever. We've talked a lot about, but The Hustler <laughs> strips away the noble cliches about athletic competition we're used to and explores the arrogance, self-destruction, humiliation, and even cruelty that are also often part of the game. And if you're like my wife and simply can't be bothered to watch a black and white movie, then you can skip ahead to the 1980s and watch the belated good, not great sequel to The Hustler. It's called The Color of Money, with Newman graduating to the elder role and Tom Cruise playing the young hotshot. Okay, Sam. So apparently we turned this into like the lamest creative writing assignment, but here we go. Here on the 252, we like to talk about sports movies, but our colleagues over at TheRinger.com really like to talk about sports movies. There are lots of great pieces from fantastic writers about sports movies on The Ringer, but I want to point you to one of my favorites. On August 1st, 2017, Ringer writer Roger Sherman published a piece called The Airbud Plausibility Rankings, in which, in which he breaks down how realistic the sports scenarios are in the Airbud movie franchise. If you're unfamiliar with Airbud, he's a live-action golden retriever who, over the course of five kids' movies, comes to excel at basketball, football, volleyball, soccer, and baseball. The article's great and very funny, but it hits its apex when Sherman starts talking about the 2000 film Airbud 3 World Pup. My mind was blown when he wrote this line, quote, but whether you think Buddy would be a good soccer player comes down to your take on a timeless philosophical debate. How would a dog wear pants? If this doesn't make you want to read this article, then I think you need to unlock the part of you that feels joy. Sam, <laughs> that's great. Okay, you win. That's, it's not really a competition, but everything's a competition on the 252. Uh, well, guys, thanks for doing this with Sam. Thank you for uh, giving up yet another hour each week of your day to do this podcast. Chris, thanks for being willing to do this. Uh, I, students, I hope this has been helpful. I hope it's at least been entertaining or maybe humanized us just a little bit. Thanks to Adrian Smithy for joining us to talk about esports. Uh, we actually will have one more, I guess, spring episode in two weeks. We're going to kind of do like a wrap on the semester, but we'll give it a little time to breathe. So we'll be back uh, in a couple weeks, but this is pretty much it for the semester. So Chris, why don't you finish us off one last time for the, for the spring semester? On behalf of my colleagues here at Bethel University, you've been listening to the 252. You can always get a hold of us with any email comments, um, gift cards, anything else you'd like um, at uh, channel3900 at gmail.com. And until don't, back don't send pod- gift cards. Please don't. Yeah, please don't do that. I was teasing. Yeah. Until we're back in your podcast feed, thanks for listening and go Royals. <laughs>